The car you drive every day should be fun. But it has to do the boring stuff too, like commute, be affordable, and haul your groceries. You can have both, and we'll help you find it. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. You might be misled by the title of what we do here on the podcast, but for days like today, it's really a th- it's a therapy session for Todd and I, especially after the rental car <laughs> day I had today. It's it's a yes, I heard. debrief and a therapy session all wrapped up into one. Ay ay ay. It it is quite frightening that this podcast in a, in a in a random way has given you and I a public forum under which to rant. Uh, that 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 sometimes is a good thing, and sometimes is an awful lot of power to wield. So uh, so so what happened? What happened to you today? You you put the Jeep in for service today, so they gave you a loaner. I did. Good news and bad news. Good news is the Jeep got fixed. It was having mm-hmm. a grinding problem in the entire steering rack. They replaced the entire steering rack today. They didn't just did they really? fix something. They took the whole unit out and replaced it because the the fluid had leaked out of the rack and collected in the boot. And so nothing Ooh. was dripping. It was all collected off to the side in the rubber boot. Ooh. And, uh, yeah, lots of grinding noise. So they took that out. It's back to health, which is good. But they gave me a rental car. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> There's actually a good part about this rental car. <laughs> But they oh, gave me real okay. <laughs> they gave me a Dodge Journey. Ooh, a Journey. How, how did you How did you like your journey today, Paul? Was it a fantastic journey? It was gray. It wasn't even silver. It was gray <laughs> and it was dirty. <laughs> it was dirty okay, yeah. and gray. And yeah, well, oh my gosh, it's like I felt like I was driving one of those old Motorola flip phones, you know, that's wrapped in an office cubicle. I felt like. This is the wow. car they gave okay. me. Just all right. dull and dreary and gray, and somebody had let their cat run all over the inside of the car. And Driving I, the I, sequel I, to Office Space. I get it. Okay. I was. All right. That's it. All right. And <laughs> just, oh, man, it was, um, it was not good. But the, but the fun part here is that okay. there's a lot of satisfaction to be had being very anonymous and watching the surprise look on people's faces as you blow by <laughs> them in a journey. <laughs> this is actually your favorite thing about innocuous rental really cars, is. is the fact that you just grind them into the earth and people cannot figure out why there is a bullet that just went past <laughs> them that they're pretty sure was a rental. Yeah, I have seen that. <laughs> this journey's all over me. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. What's What the – in a canyon even. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just – oh, my gosh. On the clover leaf, I just let those tires sing to me. It was really funny. <laughs> Frightening. Left a Civic SI in the dust, (laughs) that's for sure. (laughs) Well, I'm sorry. You almost should have done a Journey Diaries. That's something you should have done. (laughs) Granted, you were by yourself, but that would have been been priceless, I have no doubt. Uh, Yeah, don't don't film yourself while driving. That's a bad (laughs) idea. But 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 part of me wishes we'd had the Journey Diaries. But the Jeep is back. It was just a one-day outing? Yeah, fortunately, one-day outing. They got it all fixed. They got the alignment done, replaced the entire steering rack. It was having lots of problems. How many, how many miles do you have on that car? Almost 23,000. And that's the surprising thing. I, I almost yeah. feel like we're getting to the place yeah. where if we eventually replace all the parts on the car, it'll work fine. <laughs> God, that's terrible. Really? I mean, you've had – I feel like you've had a lot of, like, bothersome problems with the car. Not necessarily catastrophic stuff, but a lot of little bothersome little issues 
and thankfully they've all been fixed under warranty. But, I mean, you've had weird squeaks and rattles in this steering wheel thing is very odd. You oh, had issues, yeah. I know, trying to get the alignment right. I mean, it just – I feel like you've had a, a series of annoyances with the car that have kind of been hard to chase. Yeah, I uh... – I agree. I mean, the nav screen went out. The entire air conditioning mm-hmm. module that controls the HVAC controls, that just stopped. For no reason, mm-hmm. stopped. <laughs> then I fight with them on the alignment, you know. And and they tell me about tire wear and crowned roads, and we're so far past that. I, it's like, guys, believe me, I know what I'm talking about. And then, yeah, yeah. you know, finally they check. I'm like, oh, yeah, you're, you're, uh, <laughs> the toe needs to be changed. Yeah, anyway, so... Uh, yeah, finally new <laughs> steering rack. So I'm back to love okay. with the Jeep. It did drive really nicely today. It's comfortable. Good. It's got a V8. Good. It is a great place to be. It really is. I'm I'm back to okay. Maybe I should hang on to it for a while, but yeah, I hope nothing else. But you're but you're speaking to something that that does happen though. I mean, you can have a car you absolutely love, and when it has a really annoying thing that is wrong with it, it is amazing how quick you can fall out of love with that car. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. I feel like it's one of the reasons you have to get those things addressed because otherwise it's, it's kind of like a person in a relationship that's just become annoying to you and all you see is that annoying thing. They may have other great traits that you still love, but if all, that's all you're focused on, that's all you're going to see and the love's going to die quick. So I think you've got to get those little things addressed on cars. Otherwise, and, and when you don't, you end up with that thing. We've all had that friend that you get next to a car and they're like, no, 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 sorry. That, that door doesn't open. Let me, let me reach across. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no. If you want to move that seat, here's what you have to do. Oh, no. Yeah, if you need to get in the trunk, then there's – and I always think, how did you reach this place? What was the first of these little things that went yeah, wrong? Because now we're yeah. like 10 deep. <laughs> and, and I had that car too. I mean, I had a car that was like that because it was like the hand-me-down car. We all knew, okay, beat on this door this way, it'll open. <laughs> Crazy how that happens. You just got to get that stuff fixed. It's, oh, you're hot and you want air conditioning. Hmm, we're going to have to find a hill to drive down to get some speed to get the compressor running so yeah, you can yeah, cool yeah. off. Yeah, it's uh, – <laughs> Uh, it's one of those things, but uh, we're past it for now, which is nice. And uh, good, good. Yeah, happy to give them their journey back. I I told the lady, yes, you can have your journey back now. Here you go. I'm done. <laughs> Can't. <laughs> you stand tossed it. the keys from the parking I lot. Did. Yeah. We uh, we've talked about actually doing a follow up. Uh, I mean, we haven't done a whole lot of like long term things on that Jeep of yours. We've talked about it here on the podcast. You know, last year we did it with the Jeep Renegade, and we're talking about maybe doing another shoot and getting it on camera, having you talk about it further. I really think we should. I think it's a, a truck we should talk about some more. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I do too. I mean, I, it's interesting when problems come up, like you're saying, because you know the steering rack for a long time has sounded like, you know, using one of those DR brush mowers while you're mowing baby seals, and you know, <laughs> what, just what? grinding in all the wrong places. Not you good. Know, <laughs> nothing nothing in the way a car works should be able to use the descriptive terms of either grinding or baby seals. <laughs> Neither of those terms should ever come up when describing how a car sounds. These are not good things. I, I don't care. There's no way to spin that for good. It's just not possible. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to tell the dealership. It's like playing tennis, you know, with those one of those ball return things, only it's a wood chipper and it's baby kittens that I'm sort of batting towards Stop. this thing. Like, Stop. Stop. We're... <laughs> Having like animal killing. This is awful. This is terrible. We really should move on. Uh, Something we noted in the news today, I feel like it's been noted a few places, and it feels to me like an almost headline. 
Okay. I don't know if you noticed this. I mean, okay, the 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 news is we've been talking a lot about <laughs> well, we've been talking a lot about the fact that the the model the Tesla Model 3 is coming and people have uh their deposits down, but we're not sure when it's coming. The Volt is out. And and to be honest, the Volt is out in California and Oregon and it's working its way to all the other states. I mean, it'll be nationwide by this summer essentially. Right. So, uh the the Volt is on its way, but but Tesla is in the news for starting the actual pilot production program of the Model 3, which essentially means, hey, we're making roadworthy test cars. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's like the beta round. And I think it's interesting that that is news. Because I feel like, I mean, you know, I feel like every other car company does this. You do your quick round of test cars, and it's just like, yeah. But here it is because it's the Model 3 and it's gotten so much press. Uh, interesting. I'm, I'm, hey, I'm glad they're they're at that step, but I think it's interesting that it is a news item. I felt like I saw this on four or five different feeds today, and to me it was worth talking about because I kept going, is this really news? This is just like a step in the process. I don't know. I think it is. Uh, we saw that Reuters News Service is reporting this pilot production of the Model 3, which means not just – uh, an initial production run, but it's for testing, and it's also testing the assembly line as well. So it's, you know, mm-hmm, all their jigs, mm-hmm. their fixtures, working out assembly, real assembly kinds of problems. I had heard that Tesla is really going to modular for everything. You know, maybe seven to eight modules per car, mm-hmm, interior and sure. wiring and yeah. the IP and everything. It's just a module, and so I think they're doing a lot of testing. They're not quite to production yet, but it is. Kind of headline because what other car in recent memory has collected nearly 400,000 pre-orders? Fair, fair. And it's new technology. It's, well, we hope it works. It's got to be at this price point and it's all electric new technology. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, the technology, of course, is there, but at what cost for new Teslas, right? Yeah. But, you know, promising new tech. I take your point. You know, all this stuff, good styling, people can afford it, real people can afford it. And, uh, Let's yeah, hope so. <laughs> I do too. So yeah, working the kinks out is nice to see. Uh, they're going light speed though. I I almost feel like well, this yeah, moment was a year away. To. But wow, wow. Yeah, they're pushing hard. I mean, it'll be really interesting. But of course, this is just the test step. So I'm very curious to see what all that leads to. But uh, we do have a couple car debates tonight. We have uh, Franco writing to us from New Jersey, and uh, we also have uh, Nav writing to us from San Francisco. So we look forward to covering both of those. We should jump in with uh, Franco's question, I feel like. He has a strange kind of headline here. Mm-hmm. Yes. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a weird little challenge. His, his, his question here is, can you guys find me a car that excites me? He's bored. <laughs> He's just like, I don't think there's anything out there for my budget that I'm actually going to really be like, that's a cool car, which is a... The, hmm, I hmm, I don't know. It, this, you talked about it at the front of the podcast. You talk about this as kind of like therapy session. I feel like we're heading into therapy for Franco. It, it is because you just—he's a car guy that's just gotten bored of cars. I feel like it's an interesting conundrum here. Yeah, and Franco, thanks for writing. I chose this because it really stuck out to me that you need some assistance here. Definitely, you need encouragement more than anything. But I can see why, based on the list of cars that he's owned, which is mm-hmm. juicy and luscious and long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. O2 BMW M3, a 95 RX-7, Honda S2000, mm-hmm. an 03 and an 08 Volkswagen R32, 
a 65 Mustang, Porsche 944, mm -hmm. Mercedes 190E 16 valve from 1986, BMWs galore, Mercedes E55 Tons. AMG, yes. uh, mm -hmm. C43 AMG, a WRX, Acura TL, long list of cool cars. I mean, a lot of these are greatest mm -hmm. hits cars for us. A lot of cars are aspirational cars for most people, and the car you own now is a 1988 E30 M3, one of our yep, favorites gen M3. that we've discovered. Yep, a first <laughs> gen M3, and and that's and that's where this starts. I mean, he's got he's got a company car that is, by his own uh, terminology, a boring 2015 Ford Escape EcoBoost. So he has the commute angle covered. This is the fun car. This is the drive it because I like cars car that we're replacing. And he's looking at, and I, and I see your logic here. I mean, look, we like that E30 M3. Look at our icon film and, and where we talk about it. But uh, so he's got a first-gen M3. His point is he's looking at that car and going, okay, this car is worth about as much as it's ever going to be. I mean, you could speculate and say it'll go up even further, but he's looking at it and going, I can really get genuine money out of this car now, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 to 40 grand. He's, he's thinking probably 40 grand on the high side. So his expectation is, I've loved this car. I like this. I still like this car. I've enjoyed having it. But I could get out of it now for decent money and move on to something else. What should that be? Forty grand, this car list, and he's bored. That's the big thing that comes across in this email. <laughs> I mean, after having read that list and you all you've heard it, I can see why. I can kind of see where you're coming from a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. But there are cars, two I want to recommend that are not on your list. And by the way, I first want to address your budget. Not that I'm mm -hmm. here to blow it out. Well, I am here to blow it out. <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> don't don't lie to the poor people. Of course you're here to blow it out. Keep okay. going. All right, all right. Uh, well, I went looking as if I were to buying an M3 coupe, 1988 M3. Okay. All right. The all right. Yeah, what are they it, The first one that returned had 96,000 miles on it, and they're asking $70,000. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. I see where you're going. He's probably got more money to work with than he thinks if he's, yep. if he's using that M3 money. I see your point. Okay. All right. One with 180,000 miles, they're asking 45,000, and that's the low end. Mm. They mm. Wow. I found one with 31,000. They're asking 150K, but that's crazy. No, I'm sorry. Nuts. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. It's that this, enthusiast this, auto place, oh. by the way, that we love that's out in Ohio, but yeah. I know, I know, and and – Look, I know that these cars have reached that iconic, you know, we must worship them status of the air-cooled 911s. I understand. And, and, and being somebody that has driven both and enjoyed them both fully, I get where it comes from. But this is speculation gone mad. Mm-hmm. A uh, hundred and fifty grand for a first gen M three. It's please don't get me wrong. If you're listening to this and have not driven one, and maybe if you dream about that car, it is awesome. I fully admit that. I it is a fully great car. You give me hundred and fifty grand, I'm never buying that car. Never going to happen. I'm going to take hundred and fifty grand and walk away with a McLaren or a you know new nine eleven or something that is nuts that is brand new, and I'm going to be so happy. Yeah. Same thing about oh here's a nine. Nine three nine. No, no, stop! Please stop. <laughs> I don't get it. I agree. It's just it's stunning. Well, the point here is, I have found him money. I'm not spending more of it. I've found some money for him to work with because, Franco, I think you can get way more for your car than that. I don't know how many miles are right. on it. You didn't say here. Yeah. Gosh, yeah. even a, a sixty-four thousand mile example. They they want almost fifty to fifty grand. 
Sure, uh, sure. Yeah. Okay. So I feel like we've got more yeah. to work with than you think. You may and be right. You may be right. Part of his question here is a modern investment. And mm-hmm. we could speculate mm-hmm. a little bit. I think the investments are already happened in your car and 911s, as Todd is saying. You're looking maybe at an M5, another E46, another Z3M. Mm-hmm. That's what he's looking at, yeah. I think yeah. you need to just leave. I'm glad we covered Porsche. Yes, yes, it's me talking. So yes to the 996 <laughs> or the 997, 911s, yes. But yeah, he would enjoy those. I agree. I, I will say, let's get more for your car than you think and try to. Mm, you mm. need to go drive these two. And I think the boredom is over. I I really believe that. Okay. All right. All right. I think that prices on the new Mustang GT350 have dropped past the dealer greed now. I think the dealer markup mm, is mm. no longer there. And even slightly used, I think that's gone. I think that's eliminated. That's one of the reasons that kept me from buying one of those cars brand new last year is because the dealer markup. I wasn't willing to pay five, ten grand over wait a year and the prices have dropped let's call it 50 grand i think that car would light the fire honestly and then the other one i think would be a lotus evora and hopefully the s for 50 grand maybe not but they do very different things both of these cars yeah but yeah you cannot attach the label boring to either of these they just true. You Very cannot true. see yep. boring yep. from where these cars sit. So, yep, I like both of those. Easy. It's not much more to say than that. They do different things. We've driven them both. We love them mm-hmm. for different reasons. Mm-hmm. The handling is outstanding on the Lotus. The GT350. Yep. The buzz will surprise you. And I think it's going to be cars that you look back at after you park them, and you can't wait to yep. go drive them. Yep. I like both of those. Both of those absolutely do that. That's interesting because because you've hit uh, close to where I was. I'm I'm kind of calling my shot here tonight. Are you? And I'm doing that uh-huh. because and here here's why. Once I once I call it, you're going to go. Of course, you said that. But but here's the thing. <laughs> I was trying to stay under forty grand. Under forty grand is the key thing. And also, he's talking about a car that's an investment. The way I read that is you you don't want your money to vanish. Right, right. I, there's, there's really no way for you and I to go buy this car. It's going to go up in value. I have no business even trying that. But if we're talking about cars where you buy them and you can probably get out of them and not really have lost a whole lot, so they've either got to be on the back end of the depreciation curve or just cars that are hanging on. Mm-hmm. This is what's rattling through my head. And then I thought about the thing that you've actually already touched on with the Evora, and that is I look at his list of cars, and you know what's interesting here? No mid-engines. There's oh, no mid-engine vehicles on his ownership lift list. And I said, that is the key element here. We need you in a mid-engined car. Different dynamics. Mm, but then I also yeah. thought, you don't need a commuter. And let's get you something that is, I, I don't know another way to put it, it's all character and personality, including character and personality flaws. I mean, you think about the person sure. you fall in love with <laughs> sure. that is a bit crazy you might actually love them more. Now, there's times when they drive you insane, but when things are good, you're like, this is why I love you, because you have that kind of crazy sure. edge about you. Sure. Okay? That's okay. the relationship we're looking for. Okay. Okay. We, we've had the boring take-home-to-mama relationship. This is the crazy girl. I, I hate to say it, but it's where we're headed. Or the bad so boy for girls, say, right? You're, you're going Exactly. From... Whatever, your, whatever your proclivity is. There you go. <laughs> nice. But here's the thing. For, for Franco, I'm going to say Lotus Elise. 
I got between you're thirty going and there. forty grand. Between thirty and forty grand, you have your pick of nice ones. Oh yeah. Find your color and your combination and your whatever. This is not a commute car. This is not a road trip car. But this is a car that is just dripping with personality. <laughs> and I don't say that. It's I mean, look, wet I, I, everywhere it goes. Easy, it's easy, easy, with... easy. But easy. Wait, wait. This is going to get explicit <laughs> in a bit. No. It don't go there. <laughs> okay. But my point right, is backing away. But but. Exactly. <laughs> Slowly. <laughs> anyway, but, but here's the thing. This is a car that has tons of personality and tons of driver involvement. When you say to me, I'm bored, I've got 40 grand to spend, and I don't want that money to vanish after I buy it, I just land on the Lotus Elise. Yeah. I, yeah. I think you might have it for a year or two and just decide, I had fun, and now I need to leave that car. And that's fine. You'll probably get almost the same amount of money out of it. You've never owned a mid-engine. They feel totally different. Well, I mean, look, they don't feel like, this is a completely different car to driven anything like this. But they do have a different weight balance. And in the case of the Elise, it's like 60% rear biased on the weight. That just feels different. That plus the fact that it's no power steering. If you have a place in New Jersey that you can go drive that car hard and well, I think you will thoroughly enjoy it. Mm. So that is my call. And then I'm going to give you one piece of advice, Franco, that you haven't mentioned here, and so I'm going to bring it up. Do you track your cars? And if mm. you don't, you should. Mm. Because the, the thing that's happening with modern performance cars, heck, modern cars in general, pick your mundane whatever it is, cars in general have become so capable that rarely does the average drive require you to get to the edges of its capability. T take your random family sedan, and it's surprisingly capable. Corolla with a spoiler? So, oh, maybe Yes, not. because the spoiler <laughs> is what makes that car special. Corolla S. Anyway, Super. yes. But, but, so this is, this is my recommendation to you, Franco, is, is figure out some track time in whatever your next car is because I think that will take away the boredom because you will get to a scenario where you can find the edges of the car, which on your normal surface streets you're just not going to. So that's my secondary recommendation wherever you go. But I'm going to call my shot at the Lotus Elise. All right. All right. I'm, I'm impressed. I think, uh, yeah, Lotus was nowhere on that list, and I just thought, huh. We've covered well, Porsche. and mid-engine isn't either. About That's the thing. There's yeah. no mid-engines on there. That's a different world. So this cool story uh, that I actually haven't told you yet, I was actually talking to my dad today, and okay. he was in the aviation insurance business for years and years. Mm -hmm. And he talked to one of his former clients today. His name's Bill in Colorado. And Bill used to have a business doing crop spraying, but he would also do firefighting. And he has an air tractor or had an air tractor. So go look that up. What he would do was fill the tanks with fire retardant. And the way they fight the fires is they get some downhill speed. I mean, they're, they're coming in kind of hot towards the fire. And he mm -hmm. reverses the props to nearly stop the airplane over the fire and dump his oh. tanks. And then Whoa. reverse the thrust, reverse the props again. This is a turboprop airplane, so it's wow. got power. But, yeah. I mean, it's like coming over the hill, reverse the props, slow to your nearly stalled, release your fire retardant, mm. and then go back the other way and give it full power and climb out of there. Mm. This wow. is what this guy used to do. And he talked to Bill today, and he said, Bill's sold his business. He was into helicopters for a little while. He sold that. And he bought a Lotus Exige, and he's tracking the daylights <laughs> out of it. This man Good is 66 years old now, and he's awesome. having a blast. He goes through 
$1,200 sets of tires every three races. He's going around the country driving the stuff out of this exige. Good and for him. Enjoying I life. It. And I was like, I love well, it. of course, a guy like Bill, yeah, of course. I, I heard about Bill's stories my whole, you know, growing up. And he had sure. my dad, you know, and he was a client for a long time and all these you know, stories about airplanes and stuff. But, of course, that's the next logical thing. It's such a rush. Yeah. And yeah. tracking this thing, and he bought the Exige, and he's and my dad kind of didn't really know what it was. And he's like, Paul would know. And so he sent him to the Everyday Driver <laughs> website, and Bill's like, what is this? i got to check all this out. So, uh, cool. yeah, super cool story. And that's the thing. Paul Newman raced till he was 84, and he was winning he wasn't just yeah. at the back of the pack racing. He was leading the pack until he was 84. Yeah. So yeah. something you can do your whole life. I love that. I was just – Yeah, very true. It was really I, encouraging. I forget where I – that's very cool. I forget where I saw it. There was some track day I remember seeing photos from, and there was this old woman at the track day that was in an Elise, and she was like a local woman. And she went to all the open uh, high-performance day track days of her local area and always drove her Elise. And her number every year for the open track days was her age. And it was somewhere in the 80s. <laughs> so every year she just put her number on a car. I just I remember seeing wow. photos of that. I wish I could find it again. Somebody probably will. But anyway, that makes me laugh. But, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it is one of those things that driving you can do at a pretty high level almost whatever age you are, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool, especially if you stay with it. Uh, but, uh, hey, Lotus is for everybody. That's really where we're headed. <laughs> Uh, that's that's that really, uh, yeah, love it, love it. Uh, well, let's two, two, jump. Two right. shirts. One's one's gonna say one's gonna say, "Ask me about cheap Phaetons." <laughs> I have to say the "Ask me" version. Nate came up with, which right. I like better. "Ask me about cheap Phaetons." That's funny, one, funny. and the other one's just gonna say "Lotus for everyone." That's the other one. Yeah, okay, we need to do that. All right. All right. Anyway. Well, let's jump into the next debate for Nav in San Francisco. He is a huge fan. Thank you so much for listening. Listens to it every week. Nav grew up in Malaysia where his family never had a car, mm-hmm. and he grew up loving cars, but now at age 30, finds himself faced with buying his first car, which is yep. amazing. So grew up in Malaysia, lives in San Francisco now, and works in Mountain View. I'm trying to rack my brain about big companies, big search internet giants who <laughs> hmm, are headquartered weird. in Mountain View, but I can't come up with an answer. What could you possibly do in Mountain View? I, I don't know. Who could you possibly – you know what we should do, Paul? We should Google that question. Yeah, that could probably tell anyway, us. Anyway, uh, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so he, he commutes to Mountain View, Mountain View about 35 miles one way, wants to avoid buying a new car, doesn't want to put too many miles on a new car. And the mm-hmm. parking in San Francisco, insurance in a new car with a new license. He's only been in the U.S. Yeah. three years, so obviously very expensive. So that's what he's asking us. So 70-mile round trip, 70 miles a day commuting, mm-hmm. low budget, which is great. That's totally fine. 15K, I, I will do my very best here. <laughs> do my very best. I'm on my best behavior here. Uh-huh. Brace yourself, Nav. You're about to spend 25 grand. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> So what else? Gas mileage, not really a factor. Hallelujah. That's great news. And uh, sedan, hatchback, but automatic. So the automatic thing stuck out to me here as well. Yes, agreed. Agreed. And uh, lots I mean, of choices. I, actually, I Googled all kinds of choices I, here. I mean, you wouldn't believe you did. the kinds of choices that come up on Google. It's pretty amazing. That Well, yeah, of course. But, I mean, here's the thing. I, uh, I, I looked at this question, and I really quickly landed on Fiesta ST and then went, oh, automatic. 
Yeah, yeah. Which yeah, is a bummer yeah. because, you know, you would have fun in that car anyway. The thing that the Fiesta ST does that the FRS BRZ do not, and you've actually asked Sedan or Hatchback, of course the Fiesta would have done it. But the thing that that car does in a daily commute sense is it has that punch in the mid-range because of the turbo that the FRS struggles with. So if you were just commuting around, I think you would probably find the Fiesta a better commute car, but we are talking automatic. Uh, Nav, can I point you right this way into learning to drive manual? Anyway, uh, yeah, so I left that. I have three other options, and they they couldn't be more different. But I tried to adhere to not only budget but also sedan or hatchback with an auto. I came up with three. All right, let's hear them. All are possible for 15. Let's hear them. Okay. Um, let's see. One, we don't talk about it much, but I think it's a good it's a good one here because I think it would be fun no matter what you're doing. Mini Cooper. Okay. Okay. It's I mean, been a while since look, we've recommended the, the, that. You know, it that? has been. I mean, the thing the thing about the Mini is you you can find plenty of reliability horror stories. So shop smart with that car. Uh, but it is it is a car. I feel like the problem I feel like with the current Mini is it's becoming a different car. It's just getting bigger, like noticeably bigger and bigger every generation. But I feel like if you go back, I mean, you're wanting used anyway, so you're not even going to be in the current model. I think that's to your benefit. They are genuinely fun cars to chuck around. You have kind of a low, I, I know it's a cliche, but it's true. You have a low go-kart seating position in it. That car feels like a low-slung sports car compared to the Fiat 500. They have the exact opposite approach in seating positions. Mm-hmm. So low mm-hmm. seating position it's a nice, chuckable front-wheel drive chassis. It would be perfectly good to commute in. If you get on a back road, you'd enjoy yourself. It has a little bit of hatch usability, but it, yes, doesn't feel like I bought a big car. So one of them, kind of off in the weeds one direction, is the Mini Cooper. I think that's a real option. Hmm. A T-shirt with chuckable and then all the pictures of cars that are chuckable. What do you think? There you go. All right. Chuckable. Sure. Why not? We're, 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 hey, if nothing else, we're coming up with shirt ideas. We ought to design some of these, but we are coming <laughs> up with ideas. Um, <laughs> so your, there's that. I, f- Yikes. I feel like the, uh, the, the elephant in the room, the one that has to be mentioned here, go back a couple generations and get yourself a Subaru WRX. Now, I don't think of that car generally as an automatic, but you can get it in an automatic. You so could. get yourself one yes. of those in sedan or wagon. Yes. Uh, that is the ultimate all-purpose usable car. Look, it's a little uh, loud and, and you know rough, I suppose, if it was just your commute car, but why not? And then you'd enjoy it on a back road if you get that chance as well. I think that's a car that is a worthwhile enthusiast car. I Again, I would rather say manual, but okay, in automatic, it's still viable. And then my other one that I thought, and here's the thing, Nav, I actually want you to drive all three of these because they are such different cars. I'd be curious for you to drive all three and see what connects with you because that's the thing we don't really know from your email. We don't really know. We know you like cars. What's the kind of thing that just resonates with you? And it may be style and it may be attitude, which is why I brought up the Pontiac G8. Really? The GT versions. The GT versions you can now get for 15 to 17K. What? You're kidding yes, me. I know. No, isn't that shocking? So, okay, sedan with attitude, rear-wheel drive, V8, yes, please. So I think <laughs> that car's got to be driven. Those are my three for you, Nab. I think please go drive those cars. Mini Cooper, at least look at the S. Not, you don't have to go John Cooper Works, but at least the S. Uh, Mini Cooper, Subaru WRX, and Pontiac G8, three very different vehicles, all in your price point, all in automatic. But one of those, I suspect, if, if you don't get one of those three, one of the three is going to, to, to give you a rabbit trail to follow to go, this is the kind of car I want. And I think that's mm. where we need to help you. Hmm. Now he's going to have to have a budget for rear tires if he gets that Pontiac. I mean, sheesh. 
He's going to be doing yeah. burnouts everywhere he goes. Like, you know, all of his friends. Sure. Are like, do it Why again. Not? Do it again. <laughs> okay. Here you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, interesting. I like them. They're very different. I saw that Devin the Awesome on Instagram asked that we stop digging the knife into the wound that Fiesta SCs are now 14 grand. <laughs> and he got a new one and yes. is now upside down. <laughs> they might even be 13,000. <laughs> Just easy, kidding. easy. Yeah, let's not push Devin too far over the edge. He's 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 right on the edge. He's quite tits because he has that yes. brand new uh, Fiesta ST that has dropped through the floor. I'm That's sorry. Yeah, if it makes you feel any better, Devin, I will say this. I'm pretty sure I'm upside down on my FRS too. Because wow. they're they're dropping they're, they're they're dropping like a stutter they're like the shadow of the Fiesta ST yeah, as they drop true. through depreciation. So uh, yeah, I'm not getting money out of my FRS either. So it, take heart. All right. Well, you can cry in your soup together, but uh, uh, wanted to move or just on. drive the car harder. That's or the just other po- keep part driving it. And uh, as BQ Williams said, start tuning it. Just exactly. You know, yep. Yep. I think it's BQ. Start playing Somebody around. If, if, if you're not going to get, I think it was Colin actually. Uh, uh, Colin, Colin Cow, I think you're right. Colin as well. said and, and he, he talked about how. And th- hey, hey, Colin, thanks. I remember we met you at Chicago, so that's cool. That's right. But uh, but here's the thing: is yes, there is that option as well. And, and Paul and I've talked about it. You know, we're getting to a place where the FRS should become some different long-term car. But then there's the question of if we're upside down on it, should we go the other way? And start to turn that car into a monster. I, 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 and to be honest, I don't have an answer here. And it falls in that same category. I'm hat tip to many of you. It's the same category as the cheap Phaeton for the show. And that is, we have ideas, but those <gasps> ideas require money. We probably should not throw at those ideas. So we'll see what happens with the FRS. Nav could get a cheap Phaeton, five grand. He- and the he other could. 10 would be for maintenance, just set aside for maintenance. Yes. And a year from now, he will curse us and have all of his 15 grand blown, but it will be a hysterical story. And I, we'll come out to San Francisco and drive that car now. Yeah. That'd be perfect. There you go. Why don't you get the cheap Phaeton? We'll come drive it. <laughs> anyway. Ask me about cheap Phaetons. I'm going to make that shirt. That's my, that's my personal goal for next week. I'm going to, I'm going to launch that shirt. If you want one of our shirts, we do have them through our website. Nice. We don't currently have Ask Me About Cheap Phaetons. But I, you know what? I'm kind of inspired. That may happen this evening. I, I, I'm that inspired by that shirt because I want one. If not, nobody else wants one. It may be just me, but I want that shirt. People are going to regret it when they do. They, they'll read your shirt and say, I Guess I'm supposed to ask you about cheap. Yes, let me tell you about cheap Phaetons. Thank Step you. Step right over here. Thank you for asking. They're gonna, yeah, they're gonna regret that one. <laughs> let me pull them up on my phone and tell you about the bad investment we could make together. Yeah, okay. Yeah. They'll leave having bought one on their mobile device. They will mm-hmm. look at it on their phone and you've convinced me. I I think I will. I do have funds. Fantastic. <laughs> Thanks, Todd. I'm going to be like the music man of cheap Phaetons. It's going to be it's going to be a terrible, terrible thing. I'm I'm telling you, Phaetons. Yikes! All right, um, yeah. Moving on. So sorry. I I do have some choices here. Bridge us back to to recommendations. Please help us. (laughs) I saw commute. I thought Chevy Volt, but then I saw fun. So fun has got to take Mm -hmm. precedence. Interestingly, volts are now 15 grand, which is crazy. Uh, I started at the Hyundai Genesis Coupe. And yes, you can get them on automatic. Okay. Yes, you yeah. can get 2012 and 2013s turbochargy, good fun, and rear-wheel drive goodness. I yeah, think that good. could be interesting. A reliable, decent gas mileage. I think it's a good mix between it's not an FRS where shines on mountain roads and not so much fun in traffic. And it's mm-hmm, not mm-hmm. so high-end that it's just, you know, 
put a blower on your Pontiac G8 and roast your rear tires <laughs> every day. <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> That's another t- shirt right there, too. Why not, burnout? Um, <laughs> why Why are we in shirt land tonight? I don't anyway, know. keep going. We're in shirt land. So then uh, that all this led me to BMW Coupes, whether it be the 128i from 2013 or the 328i from 2011. They're the same price. But then I thought, you know, I don't want you looking like every other Mountain View commuter who parks in the parking lot and has a BMW. They're great. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. So yeah, some uniqueness there. I see that. Yeah. While lovely choices and good cars and fun to drive in and of themselves, you might be accused of buying it for the badge, which is something we don't want. Except mm-hmm. when it's Agreed. for Porsches. Agreed. You know, so. No, but even that. No, <laughs> please. I'm sorry. I have to step in here. You do not except buy any. Paul is the exception. Paul will buy tons of things because it says Porsche on it. I'm going to say to you, do not buy a Porsche because it has, as my son would say, the horsey badge on the front. Don't do that. <laughs> buy the Porsche because it's a good car that you're going to enjoy. I, I, I oh, yeah. Anyway, okay. Sorry. Go on. I'd buy anything with a Porsche badge on it. Anyway, I know. I know. Uh, so that led me to a car that we recommend all the time. It's a GTI. Now I found a 2013 Volkswagen sure. GTI with the Autobahn Performance Package. And yes, okay, with good. less than 60,000 miles. But okay. get this. I also found a 2012 with 22,000 miles with a six-speed shiftable automatic. So yes, not the DSG that Todd and I love and rant and rave about. Mm-hmm. However, mm-hmm. less than 60, far less than 60. It's not like everyone for sale online it, you know, has 60,000. Keep them maintained. I think they'll be great. Edgar had one for well over 100, and I'm sure many of you listening have had GTIs mm-hmm. for well over 50, 60, 100,000 miles. Of course, any car is going to keep costing you money, but the fun-to-drive sure. factor and the balance that that is, it's still lightweight, it's easy to drive, turbocharging goodness, all that stuff. It's an enthusiast car, and I think people that see you drive in a GTI, I think they would suspect you being more of an enthusiast rather than just, oh, you bought a BMW because, you know, it's BMW. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. But also, interesting. Okay. 2016, right. 2016 Smart 4 2 Passions are only $15,500. Oh, stop. Stop. Well, this is weird. Ugh. This is going to sound weird. I, I wouldn't consider it for commuting or long distance or anything except for the San Francisco parking realities. That's the only reason it crossed my mind. I thought, well, how high is that on your list now? I'm kind of thinking fairly low, but interesting, brand new smarts, and eh, yeah, but they're yeah, all over when, Europe. When we've, they're all when, over Europe. Yes, when we've got a guy talking about gas mileage is not a factor, that says to me we can branch out from the world of the smart. Because true. As you, as you mentioned, true, true, you, true. you're going to walk away, and if you, if you for some unknown reason, like Lot's wife, look back, you're not going to like the fact that you look back <laughs> to your smart car. It's just it's yes, not going to no, happen. It's, it's about a 3% chance, but I thought, parking, how important is that? Yes. Anyway. Yes. That's, it that's, does solve the parking problem. It was more of a that footnote. It's a footnote. That's Okay. It was just that's a, fair. huh, smarts that's are fair. brand right. new ones are... $16,000, $15,000. All right. But uh, I think GTI. I think it's just such a solid choice. I, mm-hmm. I'm. That's kind of the direction I'm going. 
I see it. Well, I mean, it has all yeah. of the, the thing that GTI does is, is you and I talk it up one side and down the other. But the GTI, the Golf R, all of those cars, the thing about it is it feels far nicer than everything else it competes with. As far as a commute car is concerned, mm-hmm. it just feels like the nicest place to be. So you have to weigh, as a driver, where, where are my proclivities? I'll go there. What, what's, what's the more important element? Do I want to feel like this is a really nice high-end car that I'm sitting in and driving slowly in? Well, then yeah. the GTI rises to the top. Is this a car that I want to feel like is engaging and talking to me and fun on a back row? The GTI starts to slide down the list. But you have to ask... You know, how is your scale weighted, so to speak? What's, right. what's the way you're really going to use it and enjoy it? And that is the great thing about the GTI. I mean, people that are huge fans of that car sometimes are mad at us for saying that it's not as fun as it, its competitors. It generally isn't as fun as its competitors, but it does other things better than. Sure. So you have to weigh sure, it sure. and how your usage is. And, yes, somebody out there is saying, I have a GTI, and here's the tune that you get. Yes, I hear you. Thank you. <laughs> I hear it ringing in my head. But we should move on. Honestly, I wasn't even going tune. I wasn't even thinking that for right I know. now. Just I know. leave it as is, slice through traffic, you know, still fun, all that stuff. So that's uh, that's my that's thought. Where, now, that's where that car's great. That's where that car's great. I do yeah. get that completely. Yeah. Let us know what you get. Both of you guys uh, really, really appreciate you writing in. And, uh, yeah, some list here, Franco. That was uh, – <laughs> gosh – Quite a list of cars, so let us know what does excite you, what you get next, and what you're driving, and hopefully we can rekindle that for both you guys and get you into I, something you love. You probably did this on purpose, but it's just now dawning on me. Call me slow this evening. It's just now dawning on me the point-counterpoint of these two guys. Franco's driven everything and nothing excites him. Nav has owned nothing. What fun thing should he get? Right. So we've got guys on opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah. Hopefully both of you have found something helpful out of this. Opposite we spectrum, have a... opposite coasts, the whole mm-hmm, deal. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. We have a pile. Thanks for doing that. We have a pile of questions on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I've made a note of six or eight here. Uh, yeah, six of them. A um, couple on Twitter, a few on Facebook that jumped out at me. I hope you've grabbed some as well. I did. I couldn't help but grab this low-hanging fruit here from Luigi on Facebook who asked simply, favorite single car designer? Hmm. Now, you might just say I'm going with the obvious, Ferdinand Porsche, but I've moved on from there. I started there, (laughs) and I thought, huh, how about the Italian guys? I mean, like I've said, any Italian can give you design help. They just know proportion. Giorgetto Giugiaro, Nuccio Bottoni, Sergio Pininfarina, all three of these guys – have designed hmm. Ferraris, Alphas, Maseratis. Ruggiero designed, uh, I mean, well over 100 cars, I think. Mm-hmm. And Pininfarina, he designed cameras and watches and all this stuff. Okay. Sure. Interesting. I moved to Pete Brock. He's the Shelby Daytona Cobra Coupe designer. Six mm-hmm. in the world. Mm-hmm. Utterly gorgeous. Yeah. The car yeah. just practically designed itself, but no, it didn't. It, it was Pete <laughs> that did that, and yeah, huge yeah, yeah. kudos to that. But I ended at Ken Okuyama. He is indeed still alive. Uh, he's not that old. He's probably mid-50s, I think. He is the former Pininfarina designer who did the Ferrari Enzo, but from there he forged his own path with his own projects. He's made bank, done his own thing. Uh a lot of different one-off kinds of cars. He's really made a name for himself as a designer. He's a Japanese guy who designed Italian cars, 
So the ability to step outside of your own growing up and your own culture and design something that is still distinctly another brand, another culture's, all that, you know, everything that goes with it, that's talent. That's huge. And mm. the fact that he's made his own money and he does his own projects now, I am super impressed with him as a designer. He's forged his own way. Uh, yeah, it's it's Ken Okiyama, former chair for a short while at Art Center in uh, in Pasadena. I had the pleasure of talking with him for a little bit, and just a fascinating mm. guy, really interesting guy. Wow. Okay, well, I'm going to leave you with that one because I, <laughs> I <laughs> that's an area I cannot run around in. I end up going, end up going. That car is pretty, and that's about where it ends. <laughs> well, it'd so, be the same uh, way with yeah, me okay. with directors or producers or writers. I'd be like, ah, fair I'm, point. The movie had fair point. Fire trucks and power tools and disco balls and explosions, <laughs> along with lots of guns. So I liked it. I mean, <laughs> yes, yes. You oh, and the plot very, was good. Very, yeah, the plot was good. It's, yeah, fun, it's funny because as very high end as your tastes are in so many things, <laughs> movies are the random place where you are just like a five year old boy. It's just the funniest thing. You just Bond and no born. standards. Bond movies no, and born no movies. No standards. Right anyway, yeah, okay. Well, uh, I wanted to respond to uh, talking about specific call outs. I wanted to respond to Joseph, who wrote to me on Facebook and said, All right, Todd. If your son, my son is seven, if your son grew up to become an avid Prius owner, <laughs> would I disown him or feel I'd failed him in some way? I love this question. I love this question. Um, hmm. Okay. Here's the thing. Why does my son like the Prius in this scenario? Because does if he? he's... Has he said this? No, he, no, he doesn't. He oh, doesn't. Not okay. at all. Not Whew. at all. I mean, come on. He I still mean, thinks just... the FRS is the fastest car in the world. I mean, well, cute is. little boy. Let's it's be honest. It's your car. But, it is. Uh, yes. And it's, and it's crazy loud and it's bright orange. And, of course, why would a seven-year-old not like my car? I mean, that's, that's, it's just – it's perfect. Anyway, but – um, no, he, he has not seen a Prius, noticed a Prius. He's, he's my son. So, so far he's, he's correct. In fact, to the point, I don't think I've ever told you this, Paul, maybe I did. We were sitting at a light not that long ago mm-hmm. in the, in the, in the Cayenne as mm-hmm. a family. Okay. And he looks across the intersection and we're just seeing the nose of a GT3 911. Just the nose with okay. the lights, the little, you know, okay. four, four spot <laughs> lights. And I had noticed it, but my wife was in the middle of saying something and my son being seven just interrupts with thoughts and goes, oh, look, there's a Porsche. And my wife stopped what she was saying, and she looked at me like that just happened, didn't it? And it rattled by, and he watched it go. He said, yeah, that's a really cool Porsche. And I'm thinking, yes, it yes, it was. That was a nice moment of pride for me. He's never done that with a Prius. So, so far, I'm doing fine. But, you know, look, it, he'll, be, he'll be driving in roughly 10 years, okay? Uh, when he In 20 years, scary to think about, he'll be purchasing his own cars. So, um Cars are going to change massively in that 20-year period. We're clearly on the cusp of a massive change. If he were to decide he loves the Prius, my question would be why. If he said to me, I love the Prius because I need a commute box, brilliant. If he said to me, I love the Prius because it's the best driving car I've driven, I have clearly failed him. (laughs) So it's going to be a question of – he's my son. I'll love him no matter what. But it's going to be a question of why do you like the Prius, son? Because if he's just like, Dad – you're selling the Prius short. The Prius is actually awesome. My question is going to be, what about it is awesome? Because if your answer is the seats are great and it's incredibly dynamic, <laughs> maybe the Prius is going to go a long way in those 10 years. Maybe maybe the Prius becomes the world sports car. Hmm. But the versions we've driven now, you cannot argue that. So um, 
Only if yeah, it picks up a jet will... engine or two and they get screwed to that car somehow. Then it's cool. Hopefully I will hopefully <laughs> I will raise him better than that, but maybe I will fail him miserably. I look, I'm his dad, I'll fail him miserably in some category, but but hopefully it won't be this one. I I like that a lot. And as a matter of fact, the next question from Chad Fotheringham ties into that because your son is in a category that has not been named by the powers that be. But he asks that why do we think millennials aren't as interested mm. in American cars as their parents and grandparents were back when they were young? Chad, one word, freedom. Grandparents, mm. think of post-World War II era, the optimism okay. that the country had and sure. yeah, yeah. the lack of traffic that the country had. And I'm talking about America mm -hmm. in, in particular. Los sure, Angeles sure, sure. was a – small city. It was not the sprawling yeah. behemoth that it is today. It yeah, didn't yeah, have yeah. the traffic problems that it did. Just about, well, not very many cities had traffic problems. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so cars represented freedom. And nowadays, millennials have the same freedom via Uber and Lyft and car sharing programs. And maybe they live in the cities and they don't own a car because, hey, public transportation, I live near my sure. work, I can yeah. walk everywhere. Yeah. It's a uh, – we've got tech. I mean, of course, phones, cell phones didn't exist and you mm -hmm, know, certainly mm -hmm. the tech that we carry around on our phones didn't exist for transportation. Transportation is now an app on your phone to move your body from one True. place to the other. True. Yeah. It is an, a button push on your phone. Whereas I, I think back in the day, I, it was just that freedom. I mean, drive in movie theaters, you know, mm -hmm. all those things that went with that era in America – it was all about freedom and getting out and cars represented that. Whereas freedom is so ubiquitous in terms of sure. you know, the ability to move about. It's so easy in that sense. Then I, I think it's changed for that reason. So millennials may not be interested in cars because, well, they don't need to be. They you know, are, are attracted to whatever other interests they have. And uh, I, I think that's the biggest thing. Interesting. Just freedom to move about. I see about. where you're going. Freedom to get away I see from where your you're parents. Going. You know, they're teens yeah. and they wanted to get away from their stodgy parents and their grandparents. And let's That's get something out of here. I was going to say. That's something you know? I was going to say. I mean, you know, you used to have to, and, and I want to come back to a couple other reasons, but I think that's one you've hit on that's very key. You used to have to, look, you're, you're 17 years old and you're frustrated with your parents, but you had a car. Mm -hmm. You could get in your car and you could drive to wherever and see your friends. Now you're 17 and you can sit at the dinner table and have a conversation with your friends via text or Facebook or Snapchat right. or whatever. Right. While sitting at the dinner table, you can be complaining about how your parents are awful and your parents can't hear it because you're typing it on your phone. So, so that's not even necessary anymore. I don't have to go anywhere to complain about my parents. I can be an angry teen at the dinner table <laughs> while connecting with my peers. That's true. This is the freedom that we now have. So there's that. But I also think, speaking to your freedom aspect, there's two other, two other aspects. The, the sheer cost of owning a car now is a huge thing that I think doesn't get taken into consideration enough with millennials and cars. I think there are plenty of millennials that would love to own a car, but they cannot make it make any financial sense whatsoever. Sure. You know, if you live in sure. an urban area, the cost of the parking and the insurance and just gas, that is going to preclude you from having one right away. Uh, let alone, you know, student loans and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I think the sheer cost of it, the cost to benefit ratio is the thing that shifted in the last probably 25 years, where just everything about a car that is annoying has become louder, while mm. all of the stuff that's great about a car has kind of stayed the same volume, is, is kind of the best way I can think of to describe it. It's a good so way. if you live in a place yeah. like Los Angeles, 
L.A. has some of the best driving roads in the nation as far as close to a city. But most of the time to get to those driving roads, I mean, I used to do it, I had to drive an hour to get to them. Yeah. And that was on a Sunday morning. And it yeah. was so that wasn't that bad. It wasn't like it was a huge sit in traffic time. I just had to commute to the driving road. So here you have a place like Los Angeles, great weather year round, some of the greatest roads in the country. But yet most people's experience with cars is I have to have a car because I can't do public transit in LA and right. I hate owning a car because the only way I use it is it's expensive on gas. I got to park it and I sit and stop and go. Why would you want a car? If that was the only way I experienced a car, I wouldn't want a car. Mm-hmm. And yet I love them. Yeah. So the, these are factors as well. Interesting. That just I, I like how it got me thinking. And of course, Chad, we're speculating. I would say, why do you think millennials aren't as interested? And for the rest of you mm. listening too, what are the things? I've read that, uh, for example, Renault has experienced a huge drop in new car purchases in Europe because of this very reason. People are the jobs, the tech jobs are in cities. It's easy to get around, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. European cities. Yeah, sure. Just, you take the train everywhere. It's just so easy and ubiquitous. Not as much in America. I mean, sure, we've got trains, but not like Europe does. And mm-hmm. certainly not like uh, Japan or you know all those countries. They, they just do it so much better. But kind of, yeah, to your point, you kind of have to have a car to do the commute that Nav has that we talked about. He, he's yeah, yeah, got to yeah. have a car. I mean, getting out to some areas where trains don't go or you know infrastructure isn't. You just, mm-hmm. But there's mm-hmm. plenty of roads, so you need a car. Yeah, it just got me thinking, but uh, I'd, I'd put it back on you, Chad. I'm, I'm curious and curious if uh, any of you listening have some other thoughts that we missed. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, really interested. So, yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, let's see. Uh, one of our, uh, one of our followers on Twitter, his handle is Bioshock. He wrote in, and he's actually written in a lot of things on Twitter. So, thank you for that. He's actually found us in the last year or so. So, his question was: Last year, when we took our pilgrimage trip, he wasn't even aware of the show yet. So, he's asking: Are we doing it again? So I want to follow up on this because we've had a few others of you that have asked. If you go to our website, you can see all the info from last year's trip. You can see what the price was, that kind of thing. We are still TBD on dates and price of this year, and that comes down entirely. In fact, if we're getting there probably in the next couple of weeks, we should know. Because just so you know, the Nürburgring kind of closes for, you know, from around Thanksgiving to around Valentine's. It's because it's essentially snowed in. Nobody does anything, nobody works. They haven't really gotten their schedule together. Yep. So since we're getting yep. close to mid February, we will actually get some dates from our contacts there at the ring and we'll understand what our track days are so, so we can do the trip again. To answer your question, we are definitely doing the trip again. It will be this September of 2017. It will be a similar price and structure to last year. We can't give you specific dates or prices yet because we are still awaiting the uh, the Nürburgring dates to lock that in. So various of you have asked that question in different ways and Bioshock wrote in specifically asking if it was happening. So I wanted to at least touch on that quickly and say, I'm sorry we're still TBD, but we're very close to full info on that. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, We haven't addressed that for the last couple of podcasts. It's still big on our minds, but yeah, we've got to get some solid dates locked in before we can announce it because we want to do both at the same time. You know, what's it cost? When is it? All that kind of stuff. We we don't want to just trickle out information. We want to have a solid plan. And once we do, then Mm -hmm. we'll to Todd's point, then we'll release all that information and it will be on the website, everydaydriver.com under adventures right there. So keep checking mm-hmm. back for that. And of course, we'll advertise that and talk about it on the podcast. So Certainly uh, will. Certainly yeah, will. glad for that question. Wanted to touch on Abhishek's question here off of Facebook. He asked about Tesla Model S's have dropped in value on the used car market and how do you pick mm-hmm. one up? Mm-hmm. So 
to his point, it's not a conventional car. So what do you look for? What are the things yeah, you're looking yeah. for when shopping for a Tesla? I would say just an electric car in general. And Abhishek, I found a great article by a gal named Stacy Higginbotham who wrote on Fortune.com back in 2015, and she and her husband did this. She had a great article. Besides the obvious look for tire wear and the fact that everything works on the car and it hasn't been crashed or rebuilt in a certain way or done mm-hmm. poorly, those are the obvious things to start with. But she covered some points that were really great here. So go find her article and you can read more about it. I'll just touch on them briefly. But she said because she didn't purchase that Tesla used, she didn't get the federal tax credit and she was Mm -hmm. on the hook for state sales tax. Okay. So, yes, that's part of conventional car buying. But you can't expect that federal tax credit. She went on to talk about if you're going to do it, you're not going to want the traditional 110-volt outlet. You're going to want to pay an electrician to install a more powerful 240-volt electrical outlet in the garage. So what's that cost? Having an electrician come Mm -hmm. out, getting a city inspector to make sure the job is done correctly. Sometimes that's included in the cost of the electrician, but maybe not. And then will the city that you live in give you a rebate to install a special charger, TBD? Mm. So cost of insurance – and safety features, all that kind of stuff. So go find her. Again, that was Stacy Higginbotham that I found here on Fortune.com, and she covers a lot more in-depth. But the realities of owning an electric car, yeah, you're going to want the infrastructure in your home. You're not going to want to use the same sure. outlets yeah. that you plug your phone into. It's got to be faster, better. You know, What's that scenario where you live? And then all the realities of you know, the insurance might be higher than what you're used to, especially with the high-end ludicrous models. Uh, yeah, it might triple or quadruple. So definitely go in that, into that with your eyes wide open. Otherwise, great question because you cannot look at electric vehicles now as a as a typical kind of thing. You're going to want that charger in your garage, or you know, if you don't have a garage, then what do you do? How mm-hmm. do you? Yeah. How do you yeah, manage? Yeah. This? You got to figure out how you're going to use it. You know what? What dawns on me as we're talking about it, and I hadn't thought about this until you started kind of talking it through. This dawned on me as well. You've got to figure out what the story is with your car and the superchargers because different cars have yeah. different supercharger capability. Uh, I know Tesla is starting to charge in general for superchargers, but some cars, some VIN numbers may still have the grandfather clause. So you've got to figure out, you know, because all the cars theoretically have the ability to do supercharging, but not all of them are turned on. So you've got to figure out what is the supercharger setup of that vehicle and the VIN number. And, you know, because you can also, because it's Tesla and they can push over updates over the air, you could like call in later and upgrade your car. Mm -hmm. So what's been done? What hasn't been done? I think you've got to chase those things on the VIN. That's probably something that only Tesla can tell you. Now, Tesla themselves, they do sell certified pre-owned stuff through Tesla. They would obviously have that information on all those cars more so than if you, and I don't even know if this is happening, but I mean, I'm sure there are random lots that will get Teslas they can sell. They're going to know the least about it. If you're buying from the, the prior owner, they would obviously know the details, and so would Tesla themselves. But I think some of those infrastructure things, you've got to ask those questions related to the specific one you're looking at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. But otherwise, interesting question, really thought-provoking. Yeah. Did, uh, did you see Romeo's question? I feel like this one on Facebook is a, is a, one of those car enthusiast debates that can rage. He Uh-oh. mentioned that he recently saw the Motor Trend head-to-head with the Alpha, and, the, and uh, ta- <laughs> yeah. they were talking about how the Alpha Julia has the paddles for the shifter on the column, 
And they went on a little bit of a rant that that's how it's the only way it's supposed to be. And so Romeo is asking, don't we feel the opposite and which way is right? So it's like a, it's like he's like standing in the corner screaming fight, fight, fight here. That's kind of what's happening. <laughs> but true. here's here's the thing, Romeo. I'm going to say two things about it. I, I personally prefer them spinning with the wheel. Now, there's some of you already that are getting ready to type a nasty email. But here's the thing. The the thinking, the thinking for why they're better on the column is because they are always the right side is always on the right side. The left side is always on the left side. No matter what you do to the wheel, the right paddle it will always upshift. The left paddle will always downshift. The so you're talking column mounted, they, right? You're, you're specifically yes, column the col- mounted. The column mounted yeah. that, that Motor Trend says is the way it should be. If they're mounted on the column and do not turn with the wheel, the right paddle is always on the right side. It's ready to go. I see that. I understand that from a driving capability, but I submit the following. If you are completely turned over, completely turned over so the steering wheel is upside down, you're, you're not in a shifting scenario anywhere. Are you going to take a hand off the wheel to reach over and do that? I don't think so. I'm going to go all the way to F1. Do F1 drivers have their shifter on the column? No, they don't. F1 <laughs> drivers have it with the wheel. It moves with the wheel. It's where their hands are. It's not on the column independent of the wheel. So I say that is wrong because you want to be able – you're not going to be turning your hands over and over and over I know you can do that while driving, but you're not going to be in a hand-over-hand scenario and also trying to shift and losing where the paddle is. If you're driving in a heavy scenario and you're driving the way you're kind of supposed to, you're going to be braking and downshifting while you're braking. So then by the time you're turning, it doesn't matter where the paddles are. You're never going to get yourself confused. I say steering wheel, and I'm going to stand on the F1 scenario to back that up. Hmm. I agree and disagree all at the same time. (laughs) Okay, perfect. F1 cars do not have two and a half turns lock to lock. They have a quarter turn True. lock to lock. True. They will never. Right. They will never need to. Well, maybe uh, maybe a full 180, 180 degrees. I suppose. Just recalling watching, you know, the uh, the car cam as they're driving. I've seen them kind yeah. of all the way over. Arms are crossed. That's as far mm-hmm. as they ever need to go. That's as far as the car Agreed. will let Agreed. them go. So they don't need mm-hmm. to. But I have had situations driving the Cayman where I'm coming up to a light kind of fast, well, always fast, but uh, yeah, always I'm fast with you, yeah. Coming in and it's in manual mode, and you know how you come up and you're ready to turn right, and so you come in, you're slowing down, but you're already turning to the right. You're going to stop at the light, but you're already turning mm-hmm. right, and I'm wanting to downshift to get to second to be ready in first or second, depending on my speed when I take off again, but my hands are already crossed over. So what I've had to do is okay. actually let go of the wheel and reach for the gear stick lever. And then when I – because when I turn, I'm turned 180 degrees to turn right and to go forward again. I'm starting to unwind from the wheel, but then I'd have to either reach down underneath to grab the paddle or I can just use the stick. It's kind of nice to have both. I would like to think that column is the best way to have it. I can see that because if I had column mounted, there would never be an issue. Right's on the right, left's on the left, the end, everybody's happy. But then you've got to take into consideration manufacturing costs. It's probably mm-hmm. more expensive. I say that without really knowing, but it's extra parts. It's an extra way of designing. Whereas if you do the paddles and integrate it all on the steering wheel, you can get that steering wheel from a supplier as one piece intact and just simply attach it to the steering column, the end. Whereas a column, sure. now that's got to be fully assembled. It's a lot of pieces. 
you've got to you know use clearances because it's different there because now your fingers have to go between the paddle and the steering wheel whereas on a wheel it can be those paddles can be much closer and you'll never mm-hmm. y- your hand doesn't have to slide bet- between the two so it's a, it's a design choice at that point it's a how expensive do we want this piece to be you know maybe we just design the steering wheel to be an all-in-one unit it's cheaper just attach it to the column and be done with it Ferrari, Maserati, Alpha, they're all on the column, and it makes sense. I kind of like to experience that, but I don't mind it, I guess, on the steering wheel. So I'm, I'm back and forth. I don't know. I just feel like the steering wheel is always going to be at your fingertips. Your, your right hand is always going to have it. I don't see you going hand over hand and then needing to shift. I don't think that's a real-world problem, but maybe I'm just missing it. Tastes great. Anyway. Less filling. Tastes great. Exactly. Less filling. Exactly. It's just, it's just a red. This is one of those car <laughs> enthusiast fights about who likes the brown station wagon more. It's just it doesn't relate to real life at all. Anyway... <laughs> Oh, pretty good. Uh, man, we are shooting towards the end here. Ah, man, I wanted to talk what about the Panamera. There was a question from Devin. He was asking you to explain why the new Panamera is considered a fresh step up in design. Maybe he does want you to talk about that and me to talk about I movie think making. He wants, I think he wants you to talk about it. Maybe. I mean, here's the, here's the thing. I, I have always been the person... I just think he's got a name confusion there. I, but I've always been the person that has said the Panamera is far uglier than you think because it's a Porsche, and so you've never really felt That's like it true. was that ugly. And I just However, wait for you to finish, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> this is your allotted life, waiting for me to finish. I'm re- genuinely, that, that, that's a sad, sad reality. But, but here's the thing. But you have said to me before that the problem with, and, and you as the designer have said to me before, that the problem with the first-gen Panamera is they didn't resolve the back end properly. No. And since then, cars like the A7 and the Grand Coupe uh, uh, BMWs and some of these other cars that have got a vaguely similar shape have had better resolution to the tail. That's what they've addressed in Generation 2. And that's why, I mean, it isn't a, we redesigned the car totally, but they addressed that area. And I think you can speak to why that helps. I'll be very quick. And a good example is to look at the Aston Martin Rapide. Okay. Four-door sedan beautiful line carried all the way, a very Aston line. The roof line is what I'm talking about, carried all the way down to the rear backlight there, all the way up to the tail. But if you sit in the inside, sit in those two rear seats, they're not comfortable because your head's going to hit the roof. It's like the BMW Mm -hmm. X6 problem. Mm -hmm. What a beautiful line. That's useless for the back seats. (laughs) But what a beautiful line. Aston obviously went in the direction of beauty because they claim on their website the world's most beautiful four-door sedan. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Whereas Porsche, the first gen, Todd and I had multiple times where we were with four people. We went on hot laps with Porsche pro drivers. We're all wearing helmets, all sitting in the Panamera, all very comfortable. Mm-hmm. The people in the back seat, mm-hmm. we're in the back seat occasionally we were fine. The headroom was great. And that was the mandate from Porsche. I think it was sure, Michael Maurer, sure. who uh, who was the design director at the time. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'd have to look that up. But he demanded that people over six feet tall could be comfortable sitting in the rear of that mm-hmm. Panamera. And therefore, 
you know, you, you're you're comfortable back there. It kind of has that 911 shape, but it's if you look at the roof line, it's clear they erred on the side of functionality. True, true, yeah. Now, with this new design, it's radically different. And side by side, you'll see the differences. They've managed to still maintain the over six foot person is comfortable, but the line is so much better. It's so much more beautiful. It resolves better. It gives a little bit of a kick up at the end, at the tail there. Mm -hmm. It has a Cayman kind of flare. It's not a bloated. I wasn't going to admit the first generation Panamera was ugly until the second generation came out. And so now I hate to say (laughs) it, the second generation is far better but they have it is is. a revelation in design because they're keeping the same interior space they're keeping the same headroom for six foot three people like todd and i and it's more beautiful done that is a revelation where they combine and and they can satisfy both in the design brief that's what's interesting Mm -hmm. the rapide does not beautiful i wouldn't want to sit back there nobody would sure yeah it's for people considering Mm -hmm. the m6 coupe thing that's the same problem fast amazing awesome children should sit in the back seat with the panamera that's a big issue yeah people Mm -hmm. can sit back there genuinely and the line is still beautiful it actually looks even better and they've resolved things it looks porsche keep the porsche look keep the hips all that stuff Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I'm well, that's the key thing is that they figured out how to do that and actually get the resolution that is an attractive resolution of the back end of the car that wasn't on the first gen. You know, you right. go from B pillar forward, you'd have to park them side by side to see any difference in design. Right. But B pillar back toward the rear of the car, that's where it it definitely has been improved and smoothed out. And it yeah, it isn't like clean sheet design by any means, but Porsche doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. When Porsche releases yeah. a model, all they do is massage it indefinitely. So, you know, the, the, but that's the good thing, though, is I almost look at it as the difference between the first-gen Boxster and the second-gen Boxster. The second-gen sure. Boxster is so much more attractive, yeah. but the basic fundamentals are still there. It's yeah. essentially the same car, and that's what they've done here. I'd be curious to know how many body panels are shared between first and second-gen. I'd bet very mm. few, to be honest. You're probably right. You're probably right. It's probably like the roof and, and, and <laughs> doors, and that's about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the glass. Uh, the the door handle components on the inside of the door are the same. <laughs> I don't know. Aye, aye, aye. What else? Anything else strike you before we wrap this guy up? Uh, well, I mean, we've got plenty of others. There's one other I want to talk about very, very quickly. Uh, Neil Primer wrote in, and he said, <laughs> given the choice between a base model Camry and a fully loaded Corolla, <laughs> which would you choose? And then he heads us off at the pass and goes, you cannot decide to just walk. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Bravo. I actually will say to you, Neil, base model Camry all day long because it's just it's the higher class of vehicle. So in its base form, it has a little bit better materials, better room, a little bit better design. I just, yes, I would do base Camry over loaded Corolla every day, including the days when you tell me my Corolla can have a spoiler because it will make it stand out. If you didn't see that ad that I retweeted (laughs) that was on our Twitter feed, it was one of the most ridiculous ads I've ever seen. But the fin does not save the Corolla, neither does the fully loaded version. I'm going Camry. <laughs> I'm with you. I yeah, you're twisting my arm completely, but I'm with you, especially if we can talk brand new Camry. Not only was it designed by my friend Ian Cartabiano at Toyota, he's a great designer, but it actually looks pretty good. There's some parts I wouldn't take, but uh mm-hmm. looks pretty good and it's got a lot of horsepower. I mean, 
it's surprising. So I yeah yeah I, I'd have to say Camry, and even though the stigma, it's not as bad as Prius. It's not, but it's not definitely not. No, no, no. So last podcast, we left it on a Prius, and somehow this podcast, we're leaving it on a Camry. I'm sorry. I just want to apologize to you and the audience right now. I'm very sorry that it's worked out this way. Well, that went fast. Uh, I can't believe it's well over an hour. Thank you for following along. Guys, thank you so much for listening, for watching. I've got stacks. Actually, I don't have stacks. Chance and his wife, Mandy, have stacks of films to ship to you. Mm -hmm. If you're interested in the films... Please order, and uh, they will be more than happy to ship those out to you, and uh, they are helping us out tremendously with that. So uh, if you haven't seen the BMW film, I'll try to end it on BMW. The Icon film is our <laughs> latest. <you> <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yep, yep. Cleanse the eyeballs. Back to the Lamborghini site. i got to cleanse my palate here. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, they will uh, ship out the films, and, uh, man, can't wait to uh, talk to you again. Thanks, guys, so much. Cheers. 